Mini episode 1233 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at Sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge, mini-episode 1233. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with part 15 of our Coronavirus Crisis 2020 series, and I think this is probably the fifth one to deal with pro wrestling during these times here. Uh, Pro wrestling is a great diversion during these times, and uh, to uh, review the 2020 version, the second version of Double or Nothing from All Elite Wrestling AEW, good friend and fellow FDH Lounge dignitary Jake Digman uh, theorized that we should watch this show and review it, and I appreciate it. I appreciate uh, his generous sentiments in that regard, and uh, I really, really enjoyed this show. I, I can't say when is the last time I've enjoyed watching a show this much, but it's it's been some time. I really, really did have fun watching it. Uh, Jake, what were just sort of your overall thoughts on it? Well, first of all, Rick, it's a pleasure to be back here. I think I've been on more of the quarantine episodes than I have been uh, <laughs> Absolutely. A great, great show. A lot of entertainment top to bottom. We'll get into it. And I have to say, too, and this is something that I've said to friends of mine when I was urging them to check out not just this, but also the shows that they've been doing there recently. We have, as you alluded to, sort of de facto studio wrestling in these times here. The WWE doing all of their shows out of their performance center in Orlando. And we have here uh, these shows being done out of the Daily's Place Amphitheater in Jacksonville, which is attached to the football stadium, I believe, or adjacent to, whatever that is. More about that later. But I've said to my friends, watch wrestling from there. You won't regret it. Because I remember going back to whatever the show was last summer, I think it was Fighter Fest. First time I saw a show there, and that was one of the crowd, but I just fell in love with the place. I mean, as far as, and and the way that they are sort of kayfaving the no crowds being there with the wrestlers being around uh, ringside generating a bit of noise, that at least helps, but the set is really cool when you get the shots of, of the, the light coming in from outside, uh, when there's like the, the, the setting sun, basically, generally, when they're doing the shows from there, like, it's one of my favorite places ever to watch wrestling, do you do you love it also? Oh, absolutely, I think before, uh, discussed this on the uh, show, yeah. it reminds me a lot of and I can think that's one of my favorite venues that I was ever a part of, I Background. And it's, it's not like anything, it's so much better with actual fans 
and I have to say, too, and this is one of the things, and WWE is most to blame for it, because, again, they've pretty much dominated wrestling in the 21st century as far as what we see on TV, but there's a sameness to basically every arena, every type feel, and they, the fact that on the rare occasions they run shows at MSG, they even make MSG look like any other arena. It used to be they'd come out of that dinky side entrance and it'd be sort of a short jaunt to the ramp, and you wouldn't have the Jumbotron. It looked different, and, and they've, they've basically made even that sort of genericized when they run MSG. The only building they haven't been able to really do that to is uh, I, whatever they're calling it now. If it's Allstate Arena, whatever it is, in, in uh, the old Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. That one is, that's distinctive no matter what they do to it. But Daly's Place, I think that's one of the things that makes it stand out. AEW does a pretty good job with their set design when they're running regular shows to where they make arenas not quite always look like other arenas, but it's a rare thing in this day and age. It's not like it used to be where different arenas would have their own feel. The WWE, unfortunately, has contributed to the generization, whatever you want to call it, of the look of wrestling arenas. Daly's Place really stands out. things where I, I've always had a soft spot in my heart in terms of wrestling for things that are different. they got to be done well, but different. So whether it be Ronnie Garvin back in the day, his presentation was different than everybody else's. Shinsuke Nakamura, at least the way it used to be before they ruined him. Uh, Becky Lynch as the female Stone Cold. If something is being done and it's fresh and it's different, I like it. And that's how I feel about Daly's, uh, Daly's Place. And it's it's a thing where I have to say before we get to this, um, you and I had talked about this previously, about uh, the year 1992 in WCW, and when we were going through our wrestling streaming recommendations, you had talked about uh, the war games from 92, so Wrestle War 92, and I told you, I, I'd been sort of just playing around, just having a little bit of fun of like rebooking of how things could have been better that year. I'm about halfway through that pay-per-view. I'm, I'm just up to the match that's gonna the next one is gonna be the Steiners. Holy crap what a bad undercard. Like no wonder WCW eventually went out of business. 
Like, it wasn't even as good as their TV. Like, the, the shows they, uh, you know, like the main event, they had better matches than the undercard of that thing. And I don't even necessarily mean that the matches were crappy, but the matchups were crappy. Like, uh, it, it's so funny that I'm in the middle of another show set in Jacksonville from 28 years ago. That one, I haven't gotten to the war games yet. I'm sure that's going to redeem it. But everything up to this point, I, I, remember, I think I remember the Steiners match being good against the two Japanese guys. But everything at that point was god-awful. Completely the opposite of what we saw last night. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't even remember a scene from the undercard from that show. And, uh, <laughs> from what you're saying, it's probably for the best. So. Yes, yes. Uh, utterly unmemorable. And, uh, you know, but I think there will be a lot of things from last night that are going to be memorable in the long haul. We start with the Casino Battle Royale, uh, the, the ladder match, it was essentially like a ladder match Royal Rumble, where they had the poker chip hanging, and uh, they had, uh, I think it was nine participants in there, and uh, they would all enter one at a time, and uh, the mystery entrant that there was to be was Brian Cage, and uh, he got in there and uh, did a lot of cool Brian Cage stuff. He's a guy who's going to fit very well into this promotion, because I think they need... They, they need upper-tier guys on the heel side and looking at it. Uh, last night, and we'll get to this, but uh, Brody Lee takes the L a little early in his tenure. Lance Archer takes the L a little early in his tenure. It's too uh, soon to push MJF's bodyguard uh, to, to that point. Uh, you, you've already got uh, the uh, uh, Jake Hager. He's already taken the L to... Um, Ambrose, or not <laughs> Moxley, um, I, I brain farted there. So Moxley was needing guys to come in. It's going to be a little bit awkward because he's already beaten Cage, and they might have to pretend that that never happened. But but Moxley versus Cage uh, should be awesome. Although big Brian Cage guy, he fits in well. They put him with Taz. He was doing some Tazplex type stuff. I thought the presentation of it and putting him over, I thought was just spot on. Uh, I thought it was. Uh, Yes. Again, like I said, I'm not going to praise everything here. So I criticize when necessary. I've got to be honest with you, Greg. Yeah. I don't like ladder matches anymore. <laughs> I sit there. <laughs> it's just the same thing we got to discussion about. How they've done everything. That being said, my issue with this match, I wish it would have been open until the last entry came. Because the guys had to come up with ridiculously dumb ways to not climb the ladder. Sure. Yeah, because I, I think 
And the way they were talking last night about MJF being undefeated, I think that that is eventually the destination is Moxley v. MJF. And that maybe when MJF is the champion, that's how they, in the long term, might circumvent the Cody Rhodes stipulation again, because to have Cody beat MJF for the world title would, would, would kind of be that big breakthrough moment that they're looking for. Perhaps, I'm, I'm just speculating, but MJF, I, and, and that's the thing too, uh, he, I, I thought initially he was going to be the one getting the, uh, the title shot here, the Brody Lee thing, and we'll get to that subsequently. That felt like a thing where they kind of retrofitted uh, in here. WWE right now is doing this in a big, big way of not wanting to burn too many uh, important things in the empty arena era, i.e., let's push Bobby Lashley to the main event because there won't be any fans there to crap on it. Let's save any of the quote-unquote money matchups for later. And saving MJF and not going with him on this card here reeks a little bit of the same uh, to me. I absolutely agree with you. MJF is, uh, is straight money. He is absolutely straight money. He is the best heel in the business right now, and he's one of the best workers involved in the business right now because he gets it. He doesn't do too much stuff. He's not trying to get all the shit in. He's just doing out there telling a story, and I don't know if that's pretty sure it's I can imagine Jungle Boy. Absolutely fantastic. Good old-fashioned pro wrestling. That's how I like my pro wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. That was that was an excellent match. It was the one after this. The one one other thing I'd like to say about this match, I, I, I gave it three and a half stars. I was I was fairly enamored of it. I'm like you. I'm kind of over ladder matches also too, but I felt it was a good presentation as long as they were gonna go with the genre. The one thing is, and I don't think you would have popped for this the way I would have. I, you and I, as as much as we look at things alike, we somewhat part company on Orange Cassidy. I'm amused by him. I mean, and it's it's one of these things where I don't love every comedy character. I didn't love Eugene back in the day. But if it's a comedy character that doesn't make me want to punch glass, I, I basically kind of like it. You know what I mean? It's like I, I'm, I'm either, I, I tend to be very hot or cold on comedy characters. And I, it, it, Orange Cassidy amuses me. I don't know. But the way that he was writing, you know. <laughs> well, I'm not sure what the psychology would be, but when 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 he was riding uh, Cage's back up the ladder, Cage was carrying him up the ladder there. I mean, dude, if Orange Cassidy would have reached above him, got the chip, won the match, I mean, that would have been bad booking. But I would have popped like an MFer, and I would have been saying to myself, I can't wait to hear Cornette's next rant on this one. <laughs> it's funny, so when he was doing that, when that whole spot was going down, my exact, when I actually said this out loud, I'm like, this company is, I'm like, this company's not dumb enough to use that big pockets, are they? Oh, crap, <laughs> they are that dumb. <laughs> I mean, it would have, it would have been you know what, bad booking, but in the moment, great. Yeah. And they had the women's one. But like even like the first one, they like, showed someone get was in the title match, and then 
standing there as far as a reference goes with the way that they were doing it. And that's one of those things where, again, they are very, very, very strong on the main event and semi-main event face side. Heel side, a little bit thinner, and when you've got a face world champion in Moxley and now Cody, spoiler alert, as the TNT champion, you got to beef up that side a little bit more. You don't really have any, any big-time faces that are ripe for a turn right now. They, they seem to be looking that way early on with Hangman Page, but he got so over in his role, like, there's no way they could they could turn him heel. I mean, this is like, it, it, you know what the funny thing is? I mean, having, like, Jericho in the promotion, it's almost reminiscent, like, what if Jericho in 98, when he was doing the cool, or he was doing the heel stuff, but guys like me and you, I, I mean, I didn't know you at the time, but I'm guessing you thought it was as cool as I was, the stuff he was doing and inventive in the list, uh, you know, 1,004 holds. Like, if the crowd would have just refused to let him be a heel. Like, that's kind of what happened with Hangman Page. They were looking to go in that direction with him, but the crowd was just like, no, we're not having it. Well, uh, no, yeah, and I, I, yeah I, I agree with that. It's much brought up Benji Jericho. You just got me thinking for a second. When I was in high school, a um, bunch of dudes in my high school all ordered the WCW Monday Jericho shirt shirts. Uh-huh. <laughs> right? So they all came in, and I was like, I don't think you guys are doing that. We go, oh, you know, if you would want to. I'm like, I, I, I hate all of you right now. That was pretty <laughs> Speaking of getting over by not doing anything, I'm going to make another old WCW reference to 96-97 Sting. There was a rumor, because his deal with WWE might be up, maybe Sting in the rafters last night. I don't. I didn't want to see anybody in the rafters on a May 23rd pay-per-view, especially the week of the Owen Hart Vice documentary. I'm so glad they didn't go in that direction, even if they signed him. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that for a second, and then I kind of was like, oh Right. <laughs> but, I mean, 
Right. The commentators didn't specifically reference because when Cody pulled up the sticker splash, they uh they made a they made a reference they didn't add but they made a reference they said how uh Cody was this Sting was Cody's childhood idol uh-huh. or something like that and now they're really good friends. <laughs> right. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, very, uh, very, very interesting in that way, and they might be uh, doing it, but uh, I, I wanted to, I'm glad that we could mention that as well, because I just wanted to get to, in terms of Cage winning the match, the overall sort of fit and feel of the promotion and how he fits into it right now, because I think that they're very good with having everybody in their roles. The one thing I will comment on is, you had a lot of tag guys in this match, and interestingly enough, on the entire show, not one tag team match, largely because the tag team champions were in the sta- stadium stampede match, as were the Young Bucks, uh, as were Proud and Powerful. So you had a couple oh, yeah. of... You didn't, you didn't watch the Lion show. That was a tag team match on the Lion show. Okay, I missed that then. Okay. Well, so how'd that one go? <laughs> you didn't miss anything. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm a big mark for the best friends, if only because uh, my best friend and I got those t-shirts and we wore them for our first half bowling championship uh, last year. (laughs) Spoiler alert, we did not win the championship, but it was still outstanding seeing the two of us wearing those things, Jake. You had to be there. (laughs) No, so you're like the real best friends. We are, we are. I'm not sure... But between uh, between Mr. Ruslanich and myself, I don't know which one of us is Chuck Taylor and which one of us well, is, Trent. is Trent. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know which of us is which, and my best friend uh, cares nothing for wrestling, so it's not like he would know. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> I was joking about this about how I finally got him to wear a pro wrestling T-shirt. <laughs> I think he would think that. Yes, he, that would that would be where he would go. Uh, but uh, I thought three and a half stars on the match. I thought three and a half on the next one, which we've already talked about a bit. MJF and Jungle Boy, and uh, you know uh, Jr. bringing up uh, in the commentary at the beginning. Uh, for, they seem to be doing this a little bit in, in in here and there, trying to fill in in case there were people buying the show that still might not be as familiar with the product. So. Talking about Jungle Boy's uh, father being Luke Perry, kind of filling in on his background pretty well. This was a match where I thought it was really, really good. One of the things about AEW, and I do think that the uh, the records, putting the records on them, the one-loss records, I think it makes it all the more clear where they're going with some of these matches. So there's another match later on, or maybe two, where you could kind of tell you know, who's going over clearly from what the plans for them are. And I've already talked about the, the what had been somewhat of a dearth of main event heels here, especially coming out of this show where you've just beaten two main event or semi-main event heels. So MJF had to win this match. It didn't have that much in the way of uh, drama. The only thing that I didn't like about this match was they did the Liger bomb that uh, with Jack Perry that MJF ended up kicking out of after he had taken that humongous bump to the floor. And this is one of these things where if you're going to be playing a chicken shit heel, I don't know that you have him kicking out of something like that. And JR was forced to kind of put him over for his toughness. Like, 
that's not who MJF is character-wise. So I would have done without that, but I thought it was an excellent match. MJF wins in a way that comes off as not exactly cheap, but in a way where it still kind of protects Jack Perry. I thought it was well done all in all, I would say. I agree with you. Uh, I agree with everybody says with the two matches. The most good matches were my thoughts. I thoroughly enjoyed. I thoroughly enjoyed the finish. He came, he came across as a slight heel, but at the same time, you know, he still wins. Uh, he protected Jack Perry. And while we're at it, can they just call him Jack Perry? Can they just call him Jungle Jack Perry? I don't. I don't understand the whole Jungle thing. And again, that's just. But if you have somebody that has actual real name value. And people know who he is in high effects. It's because you did some gimmick on the Indies in front of, like, you know, 500 people. You don't have to keep it. <laughs> so, that's just kind of, you know, kind of my, my thought on that. I mean, I, I thoroughly I enjoy uh, him and uh, Luchasaurus as a team. Um, I can't believe anything Marco Stockton does. That's just not, on a torch race, he's just too come on, he's so tight. <laughs> yeah. guy went over, and not least of which, again, because Jungle Boy is, as you said, at this point, primarily a tag team wrestler, which is another kind of giveaway as to who is going over. This is one of these things where I do think this is a thing where my sense, even when he was on the indies, is that he was trying to make his own way, not ride, not make it look like he's riding on his dad's coattails, and I'm just extrapolating. I haven't heard anything, but there might be a little bit more sensitivity to it on his part, especially with the tragic, untimely demise of his dad last year, of, you know, not trying to make it look like you're riding his coattails. So it's it's a fine line to, like, acknowledge it, but not have it be, you know, Luke Perry's son at every turn. You know, it's, and, and that's, that's that's a fine line. I don't, I don't know how you tastefully walk that middle ground. I think they've done it pretty well so far. Whether they could go a little bit further with it, in terms of pushing them, you may very well have a point there, though. Yeah, I mean, again, the whole idea is to draw in new, new audience. And people out there, like, uh, my girlfriend, she took pictures of, took pictures of him that she came out for one of his entrances and took pictures of Luke at the same age and Dylan McKay. And they're like, I can't know each other. 
Uh huh. It's pretty, pretty creepy. So it actually got to the point where it's like, he's not one of those type of people. And I'm like, if I was going to repackage him, I would just call him Dylan McKay. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, all right, we're going to give you a fake name. Your fake name is Dylan McKay. <laughs> Excalibur is the one who's trying to stay on the page. JR, I think, is at the point where he's pretty much, I think, going to do what he wants on some of this stuff. And I'll tell you what, though, I'll make a prediction. Because I, I actually made a prediction on the last mini-episode when Ben Shu and I were analyzing the, the landscape with streaming services right now, HBO Max coming into play. I made the clip-and-save prediction that you may see some of the AEW pay-per-views and maybe even their shows, the archived ones uh, from, from TNT, ending up on HBO Max. Uh, that I think that could be something that, that happens until, because it'll take a couple of years until they could build up enough of a library to get their own streaming service, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. And I will say this, in terms of HBO Max, Warner Media, they are a monster media conglomerate. Much like how WWE guys have had crossover opportunities, if any of these guys, I've never heard that uh, Jack Perry's interested in it or whatever, but if any of the guys on this roster might ever have any opportunities from Hollywood vis-a-vis -vis Warner Media, you have to think he'd be top of the list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, them or, like, of course, you know, the, uh, uh, Moxley and the other guys, Jericho, the other guys that already have, you know, name recognition, some sort of name value. Yes. But, yeah, you would think that, that that's, you know, something that even I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, too, so. Oh, yeah. Like, I can I didn't mean that exactly, but I'd be like, uh, I'd be wanting to watch that. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be. You know, go with what you know. It could be like uh, Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling cartoons, right? Just just go with what you know. No, so. Nothing will ever be that glorious. <laughs> Probably not, but the Adventures of the Luchasaurus Express might be a close second. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Jungle Boy, Jack Perry, whatever you want to call him, he's got a bright future. MJF has a very bright present, and it's only getting brighter as we go along here. Uh, one of his big nemeses, storyline-wise, up in the next match, early in the card, which to me was interesting because there were some people that were thinking this could either be in the main event or semi-main event slot for the new TNT Championship, creatively named. Uh, instead of just calling it the National Heavyweight title, the North American title, the whatever, uh, going with TNT. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it's essentially a television title since it's the TNT title, but ironically, first de defended off TNT, albeit on Bleacher Report Live, so I guess that's close enough, right? That's a TNT affiliated property, adjacent property. Cody and uh, Lance Archer in the spot here, and uh, you, you had a whole ton of storyline sprinklings here with Arn Anderson, with Jake the Snake Roberts, Mike Tyson there to present the belt, uh, Brandy Rhodes, who ended up not being at ringside for the match. Uh, they told a good and interesting story. It was a high-impact match. I got the sense that for as much 
offense as Lance Archer was getting in that that might be something of a telltale sign as to the finish because I figured that if Cody uh, was not going over that he'd be protected a little bit better and it was a situation where I, I gave it uh, three and a quarter stars I thought it was uh, a, a good match really solid uh, interesting finish that uh, Tyson Arn Anderson and Jake Roberts factored in to some degree but it was still a quasi a relatively clean win for Cody in the end, uh, there are people that took issue with the booking. I, I've seen a lot of what I would call uh, smart marks from the IWC uh, pronouncing Cody as Jeff Jarrett version 2.0. But I would point back to the fact that he jobbed to Jericho and he jobbed to MJF. I mean, he has put guys over who needed to be put over previously. He's got to start getting wins back at some point. It's always awkward when a guy like Archer has to do the job this the close end to joining the promotion, but he at least made it to the tournament finals. I thought it was a, a, a good match. I thought it was the right finish. The right guy went over. What were your thoughts, Jake? Uh, I agree with you that it was the right finish and the right guy went over because at some point Cody does have to win something. Yes. And it kind of, it kind of reminded me of, um, I think I saw a picture of one of the AEW groups of it. It was a picture of Cody holding the TNT title and Dusty holding the television title. And it was kind of like that. It's like, you know, People like Dusty Rhodes as a booker, sure, he was involved in a lot of stuff, but in the main event scene, which was never the world champion. And if he was, it wasn't very long. Right. You know? It was always on that, like, he was the former world heavyweight champion, and it was chasing him, but he was never the world champion. He was always the television champion, or the national champion, or something else. That was all felt. That was kind of like, for people to chase. And I think, to make a comparison, if they do this right, this could be, I mean, the TV title of Coach could be the equivalent of, like, you know, that, or Rob Van Dam as the TV champion at ECW, where it was almost on the same par as the world title because people just wanted to see who was going to be the one to knock him down. Now, that all depends on where they go. I wish they wouldn't have um, done the whole thing of having uh, Lance Archer lose already, but they booked themselves into a corner with that. Yeah. And I, I, I agree that, you know, Cody needed to get win over somebody, um, particularly like the big man on pay-per-view has said. So, I mean, it was the right guy went over. I, I, they need to stop doing the whole Lance Archer throw some guy out to the, on the way to the ring. Because at this point, they've done it every single week. And you think everybody would be smart enough just to get out of the way at this point? Right. If for nothing <laughs> else. <laughs> but, like, I thought they were going to do a thing where he threw the guy at Tyson, and Tyson just, like, didn't back down. Uh-huh. Um, but they didn't do that. Instead, they showed Mike Tyson, and he goes, and they're like, oh, God, that's crazy. And how about the moment in the match where they cut the Tyson and he's yawning? Uh, that <laughs> was, that was kind of funny. Uh, I was like, oh, man, who was in the truck just messed up on that one? But, I mean, Tyson did great in his role. Tyson's coming back on, uh, uh Tyson's coming back for AEW Dynamite this Wednesday on TNT, so he must have liked it somewhat if he's coming back. Yeah. And, That, that would definitely get eyeballs on the product, and it may or may not be a, uh, a coincidence right now. You never know what to believe with pro wrestling as far as where they're going, but uh, Chris Jericho is already calling him out on Twitter and referencing back to, I guess there was a Raw back in 2010 where Tyson uh, did something to him. I guess this was during the era of uh, Jericho teaming up with uh, the Big Show. I vaguely remember Tyson yeah. being a guest host, so... Yeah, 
Oh, okay, okay. Shivani, I think, made a point of referencing that the belt actually wasn't done yet because of the uh, coronavirus lockdown and uh, there was an unfinished product. So they did reference that in that way. And it was a thing where, I agree with you, they should have made a bigger deal out of Tyson being there. In retrospect, because I didn't see this coming in, but I should have, Tyson being there in that spot was a tell as to who was going over. They, they always have the celebrity give the rub to the face, whether it's Steve Austin, whether it's the year after that. Remember that it was in the three-way at SummerSlam in 99, it was Mankind that went over Triple H and Austin, lost it the next night to Triple H, but they had Jesse Ventura raising up Mankind's arm. So it's always the baby face that, that gets the rub in these situations here. Plus, I'm going to go a little bit further down the conspiratorial rat hole that if you're in the TNT network, and I'm not saying that they have direct input on the booking or anything like that, but this is a partnership, and this reflects on them. The first TNT champion, I think that they would prefer it to be somebody who it has some name value, as opposed to, not to be insulting, but a guy named the Murder Hawk that they just brought in two months ago. They've done a great job with Lance Ar Archer, but he is not really known to the mainstream yet uh, in, in a way that Cody is. I'm not saying Cody's a mainstream figure like Austin or The Rock, but on the continuum... Cody is one of the more closer to the mainstream figures, I think you would say, out of this entire group yet. So I think that might have been a, a factor as well. Subsequent TNT champions, it may not be as important. But the first one, the network would probably appreciate having it be one of the more known guys. I absolutely agree with everything you just said. And to circle, circle back, my point of bringing up, you know, kind of a similar relationship that Dusty had with the TBS executives. Yes. When he was, you know, the Yeah. And it's a nice little story to keep seeing the color. And it adds the prestige to the title, too. Because, I mean, the name Rhodes, which, you know, which ironically doesn't choose. Right. The name Rhodes is, like you said, and, and it throws around a lot more weight than the, uh, than the, 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 the 
corporate executive meeting, here's our champion of the murder hunt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying Lance Archer is never going to hold that title, but the odds might be better on the world title, which would actually be better for him uh, if that were the case. But, uh, you know, yeah, he'll, he'll be built further along. I don't think that this uh, match is, is going to kneecap him that badly, and I think they will. They're going to be feeding a lot of guys to him, I think, to rehab him after this, no question.